Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. It's Elena here, and today I'm joined by Megan. Hey, how's everybody doing? Awesome. So we are joined today by Mireille Cine, and she is a long-distance runner based in Los Angeles. Her runner's journey began after she was diagnosed with lupus in 2013. She, um, this experience led her to gain control of her life and health while showing others that unfortunate circumstances don't have to stop you from achieving your goals. Since then, she's completed several marathons, half marathons, and a handful of ultra trail marathons. She uses her platform to advocate for running diversity, the empowerment of women and girls, and to raise awareness about housing and homeless crisis, as well as being uh, focusing on community health as an MPH candidate. Over time, she's enjoyed sharing her goals, ideas, personal stories, and insights with her Instagram followers. We are so honored to have you joining us today, Mireille. Hi. I'm really happy to be here. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, we wanted to start off by asking you a little bit more about how you got your start in distance and trail running. Yeah. Um, I was one of those kids that was fairly active when I was young. Um, I used to dance and I did different sports. I did uh, basketball with my little brother when we were younger, but running was never, you know, the thing to do for us. And even when I was into school, um, the only reason I ever started running in high school was because I joined the track team. And that was only because my friends joined the track team. And so I wanted to be with my friends and not take regular PE. Um, and even then, I was totally into the sprints and the hurdles and things like that. So again, like at at the time, three miles was a marathon to me. And we had to run that distance, you know, just for practice because my school was small. We didn't have our own field. But I did it just because of the friendships and not to just be not not so much that like I fell in love with running or anything, but you know, it was a community. And that kind of took that I took that into undergrad in college. I was an exercise science major, so working out was kind of just part of the program. I did a course where we had to track our nutrition and track uh, our habits and our running. And at the end of the semester, we were supposed to run a timed 5K. And that kind of reignited the fire for running in me. And I wanted to see how I could push myself. That class led to signing up for my first 5K and another 5K and another 5K. And at this point, I'm like, okay, this is, this is going pretty well. I want to run a 5K under 35 minutes, under 30 minutes, and really trying to get faster, but not I didn't have a lot of guidance there. So that was probably the key thing that I was missing. I was kind of just going at it and seeing what would, seeing what would happen. Um, and a funny story is I, my first 5K that I did, um, I had only trained at school on our track. And I got to the 5K, which was in Chinatown here in Los Angeles. And if you haven't seen Chinatown in Los Angeles, it's all hills. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can imagine how that one went. I think I PR, but it was a very, very brutal PR. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, Still impressive to PR. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, so I got back to school and I kept running and I don't remember which year it was, but you know, at this point I, I just loved moving my body and I loved being fit and I was still like trying to dance on the side, but I could tell that being physically fit and running was definitely becoming uh, like climbing its way up the list and really everything was going fine up until the whole lupus fiasco in 2013. So uh, lupus really put a stop to running and I, I don't believe I got permission to even be physically active for maybe a year and a half or so. Um, so when I got cleared to go back to physical activity, it was just, you know, imagine when you don't run for a couple of weeks and then take that to like a year and a half. It was just, I, I didn't know what my body was going to do or react. And it just really hurt in the beginning. And the only reason I started turning towards distance was again for the community. Um, I saw all these posts on Instagram about my friends like doing these group runs together. And so I reached out to one of them and I asked like, hey, what, what are you guys like doing on the weekends? And how do I get into this? And they let me know that, oh, it's this run club and they, we meet up weekly. You can just sign up here. And that's how I got my, my start again. Uh, after finishing undergrad, I moved back to LA and I joined them for these weekly runs. Uh, again, started out pretty timid because I was really unsure. But eventually I'm seeing my friends, you know, run 10 miles on the weekends or just do a half marathon. Like it's nothing. I run, I run 10 miles and I would have to take a nap right after. It was like that kind of just mind blowing. And they just, they, they made it look so effortless. And they were also really encouraging to me at the time too. So it kind of made me think like, you know, what if I did a 10K? What if I did a half? What if I, you know, did a marathon? <laughs> and that was, you know, that was the end and the start of it all. There's wow. so much. Yeah. That's, <laughs> first off, that's awesome that you just started running and training for these 5Ks without like a coach or much of a community, just kind of on your own doing your thing and conquering your goals. And then second off too, I mean, it sounds like lupus did throw you for a loop, but you were able to just get back into the sport. Um, I'm really curious for those who are listening who maybe don't know um, what lupus is or sort of how you first found out that you had it. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit more about that experience and, and what that was like? Yeah. Um, lupus is an autoimmune disorder. It's one of several autoimmune disorders. Um, it's systematic. And it, there are some key markers for lupus. People will usually get the butterfly rash across the bridge of the nose and onto their cheeks. And that's usually a, a dead sign that it's gonna be lupus, that it is lupus. Um, but I didn't get the rash on my, on my face. So just the journey to getting a diagnosis was just the beginning. Um, I can't tell you how many blood tests I had, how many physicians I went to go see, um, really trying to communicate what I felt was wrong because you know you know when you feel something is just not going right within you but you don't you don't have the language to express mm -hmm. that and they don't really know you know what to tell you because you know they they just maybe haven't seen it before so it was a lot of trips to the emergency room when I wasn't feeling well 
-hmm. and they would just send me back because I, I didn't look like anything was wrong. And that's something that will all, like, I, that, you know, that will never leave my head just because I didn't look sick or a certain way of sick. They just said, you know what, we've got all these patients that we have to get through to, you're going to have to come back at, you know, another time. Um, it wasn't until I, I came to the emergency again one evening and I showed them, showed them my, my hands. Um, I didn't know at the time, but I actually had a blood clot in my arm. And so my fingers had started changing colors. They were actually uh, going worse than frostbite. You know, when you get frostbite, your fingers can turn black. Um, that was happening to my fingers. And I was like, okay, they have got to do <laughs> something um, now. Um, so I came, I went to the emergency room one night. I had to, I remember I was taking like a, a summer class and I left class early and I called my parents, told them where I was going. And they said, okay, we, you have to get admitted, you know, tonight. I was like, well, one, I was relieved because I've been trying to tell you guys for months that, you know, something is wrong, but I, it just threw me into a completely new unknown because, okay, what does being admitted mean? How long will I be here? Um, are we going to find out what all of this is? So I'm waiting in the hospital. My parents are coming through and they're getting a room together and all that stuff. And it was, it was a wild ride because I would say I started feeling symptoms summer 2012, I'd say. And I only knew something was wrong because um, I would walk out of my uh, dorm or my apartment. It'd be a hot day out, but my hands would be cold and frozen. I thought, oh, that's kind of weird, you know. Uh, but it never lasted more than maybe 10, 15 minutes. You know, a few months went by and I was just so busy with school and my major was just really, it was a really rough major. So it's like, it's not like I was paying a lot of attention to my health. Mm -hmm. And that was something that, I learned along the way too. And so that started with my hands maybe a year before. And in, in the beginning of 2013, I would wake up with stiff joints and it'd be, it, it would take me 20 minutes to get out of bed and I wouldn't know what was going on. It would hurt to walk certain times. So I, maybe I'd be, I get ready for school and I get to campus all right. But all of a sudden it would just like, like that. I just, my feet felt like lead. Um, I had to sit down a lot. It was, I, it became really hard to focus on school. And again, uh, that, I think that's when I started to go, started to go see just my primary care physician, kind of explaining them the symptoms. Um, at first they told me I might have rheumatoid arthritis because I had a lot of joint pain when I was waking up and I was, when I was walking. They did a test for that, came back negative, and it was kind of back to the drawing board. And that's when the whole cycle of like, in and out, doing all the blood tests, things like that. So to finally be diagnosed later that summer in 2013 was a relief. But, you know, I, I didn't know what lupus was until they told me what it was. And I only started Googling things when I was in the hospital bed already, kind of seeing like, okay, like, what is this thing? I've never heard of lupus before in my life. So we've, we've got to see what the process is. Um, they're telling me, oh, you're going to have to do a chemotherapy regimen. You're going to um, maybe take some time out from school and all this thing. So it was just, whoo, to be, to be that young and to feel that sick was just nothing. It, I had never imagined my life to, to, be, to go in that direction. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. I know that having to think about all that, again, can be a little overwhelming, <laughs> I'm sure, at times. But it is a really testament to advocating for yourself in the medical mm -hmm. field because I know that's right. something that we have to do a lot and it can be really tough to have to keep showing up and you that was 
a way that you were taking care of yourself by continuing to show up. And even though you kept getting turned away, that is yeah. awful and not right. Um, <laughs> but you still showed up. And also props to you for not Googling things till, till too, um, <laughs> like too early because I always Google things like, what is this? And you get like, oh. into that rabbit hole. So yeah, yeah. good thing you didn't do that. I mean, I'm sure I was Googling things, but you know, it's just, it could have been anything because the blood tests are just like, we don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that had to have been sort of a mix of, like you said, almost relief to finally have a diagnosis and maybe at the same time, so much uncertainty too. I mean, you, you had said there you're in school full time, you probably got a lot of demands and you're like, I can't just stop my life for this, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. How did that influence your as you have said, you've kind of, um, you were influenced to gain control of your life and your health. So what was that like for you? And how has it sort of informed the way that you've moved forward? I think that before lupus, I, I wasn't really in touch with who I was as a person. Um, I kind of had, I felt like there were just markers that I was trying to reach. Um, I, that definitely comes from like being the eldest daughter um, from a family of immigrants and, you know, trying to hit all these points is just like, oh, okay, get this degree, uh, become a professional, make all these, like support your family, all that stuff. So a part of me felt like I was just going through the motions of life and especially just being an undergrad in the major that major that I did have. And I hadn't quite learned how to use my own voice. And I think part of the problem with that was just like, I would just say yes to all of these things, never really taking the time to stop and think and try and figure out like, oh, was this really the right thing for me to do? So I, I was a very social person and that was fine, but I, I definitely had a case of doing the most and never knowing when to stop and when to rest. So being diagnosed with lupus was just like, I had no choice but to stop um, and having and going through, you know, advocating for myself, I had no choice but to take the time to really know what my body felt like in sickness and in health and having to learn a language to communicate that. So the biggest thing that I gained from that experience was just learning that rest had to be a part of life and you couldn't be on the go all the time because being on the go was, a, was why I got sick in the first place, you know, all that stress, trying to balance school, uh, a dance life, sorority life, all of these things, and just having to be like, you know what, what are your priorities in this moment? And how are you going to execute them? And how are you going to slowly learn to say no to everything else that doesn't matter in this moment? I love Which that. Which is way, way easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> We're nodding like, yeah, yeah, we, we definitely need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Still a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now with like focusing on your priorities, you are now back in school, getting, working mm -hmm. on pursuing your MPH and you shared with us before we started the podcast that you're doing a lot of job interviews. So how are you juggling school right now, running and interviewing for jobs? Whew. Uh, running gives me the structure to do everything else. And that's, that's probably why I prefer to do it first thing in the morning. Um, not just to like get it out of the way, but to like accomplish 
something, you know, first thing in the morning. Um, I, I just gained too much from running to not make it a priority. Like, yes, I have PR goals and things like that, but I also want to make sure that I'm, I'm moving my body daily because health is of the utmost importance and that's physical, emotional, and mental health. And I feel like when I do just prioritize that one thing, everything else will fall into place because, you know, I'll go for the run and I'll get home and then, and then I can be like, oh, okay, what else is there on the agenda today? And it's really easy for me to structure everything else after that. Like, okay, this time is spent running. I've got these assignments due, these week, due this week. How can I uh, time block that? And because I can't focus on school for, you know, too long, that makes it really easy just to switch all these tabs that I have open and, you know, go and check out a job site or go and uh, read an article or attend um, uh, all these webinars that I've had the privilege to just, you know, sign up for for, for free and further my education that way. Um, and there's just not much else going on, number one, due to COVID. So I'm really utilizing this time to try and get ahead. Um, I think I'm motivated more so because pursuing my MPH was kind of a, a career pivot for me. Uh, prior to this, I wanted to get into physical therapy. So I majored in kinesiology and I did attempt to get into a DPT school and it was just, it was so rough. Every time I felt like I got close, I was like, nope, didn't get into anywhere on my first try. Try again the second time. All right, got the interview at my dream school thinking this is going to be it and got rejected again. So I was like, whew, okay, <laughs> we got to figure out, we got to sit down and again, figure out what we're going to do. And knowing that whatever I wanted to do had to be community-based, it had to be helping some people, helping other people in some way, but also knowing that I'm a generalist, you know, I like to know a lot about a lot of different things. And somehow I found public health. I think just the name health in itself was something I, I Googled in like careers in health and what can I do? What degrees do I need? And I was like, oh, what's, what's a public health degree? Oh, what's a master's in public health degree? And one thing led to another, and I got admitted into the, into the school that I have, and I've been having a great time with the program. So finding something that I finally feel called to, like the same way that I feel called to running, th th makes daily living that much easier. Because I don't, feel like, I don't feel like it's work so much. Like looking for a job is work, but I know what I want to do is going to help so many people in the long run. So it's just better for me to do this grind now. Yeah, I like that both uh, for those that aren't listening, both Elena and I are like grinning ear to ear because we all three <laughs> have like both Elena and I graduated with our MPHs and we're just like, yes, another public health person. <laughs> I just love it. And I, I definitely relate to you on the front of being more of a generalist um, mm -hmm. because I had gone to school thinking, oh, like I'll become a dietitian or a PT, mm -hmm. a physical therapist. And it just, you know, it public health just encompasses so much everything and, and more yeah. like I, I want more people to get into this because they I don't know there's just so much you can do with it yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and I um along those lines you had kind of mentioned houselessness homelessness and I think um a big topic right now in public health is social determinants of health and how we can mm -hmm. affect change in those areas um you know how do you hope to use your MPH and and affect change both for houselessness and for public health in general? 
Um, so far, I've been lucky to gain some experience in housing, low-income housing and community work. Um, I did an internship with an organization called the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, and a couple of years ago, they started a housing program because the president of AIDS Healthcare Foundation was kind of frustrated with the way that Los Angeles was handling the crisis. They, Los Angeles, you know, being a big city, and before some certain measures were passed in previous elections, it was just at a standstill with the way housing was being built or not built, the way the numbers that were climbing up as far as people who were entering homelessness each year. And so a Healthcare Foundation just said, you know what, we're gonna come in, we're gonna buy buildings that already exist, and then we're gonna house people. So seeing that model was really influential to me and because that allowed me to interact with people that were low income, were previously incarcerated, were previously experiencing homelessness. And it's just, there's, it brings out the human in me, I'd like to say. Like, I don't understand how you can look at your fellow neighbor and not want to help them. And I see the unhoused population as my fellow neighbors because if I'm running in the streets, I'm running through someone's home technically. That's the way I like to look at it. And that's like how I like to say it to other runners. Like this sidewalk, someone probably sleeps on the night before, before you get up for your run, you know? There are encampments everywhere. You, they cannot be ignored now because they're just a part of our daily living. And if there is a way to alleviate that, because you'll find a majority of these people do want to alleviate their situations. They do want to be housed. They do want to work. They do want to know where their next meal is coming. If I have the ability to get the education to help them with that, then it's, it's a no-brainer for me. I love that mindset of as runners, you know, we are running through those people's homes. And same for me, I I mean, on the streets here, I'm in Colorado, see um, a lot of homeless people on the streets as well. And that's a really good mindset shift, something I hadn't thought of before. And I think um, for others who are interested in the public health field, which I know <laughs> is slowly becoming more popular with COVID, people are learning yeah. about public health. It is such an interesting field because as we just mentioned, there's so many different paths that you can take. I have mm -hmm. one of my um, classmates, she um, got her MPH and then she's pursuing to go to medical school. So nice. it just adds yeah. so much to whatever you're planning to do in the future or just to open your eyes up to just these different areas, which I myself wasn't open up to or didn't even know the word social determinants until yeah, I took yeah. pretty yeah. public health. And then it's funny, it's funny because how I felt with learning all these things some way, somehow it worked out that whatever course I was in coincided with something that was going on in my real life. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started my internship, I happened to be in a leadership course. And so it was a really good time to observe like, oh, how does my national director fit into what I'm learning, you know, in school right now? And when you mentioned social determinants, I feel like there, public health, is a, there's a lot of things that we already know, but we just can't remember. And so when we're learning and you're reading about them, you're just like, oh, I have seen this so many times in my life. And now I know what it's called. So I, it just really, I don't know, it made the course that much more exciting. Yeah. yeah. I have kind of a question, I guess, related. I was just thinking as you're talking, we could go on about public health for days, but <laughs> kind of looping back a little bit to running as well. Um, and I totally love hearing about your, your path in public health. It's fascinating. But um, related to social determinants and like, I don't know if you've thought about how this plays out in running. 
how do social determinants play out in running? Yeah, and like the running world or realm, how do you feel like those interconnect, if at all, or running in public health? Well, I hadn't thought about that a lot. But what first comes to mind is, well, running fulfills our, need, our, like our own need for health for most people. And but I'm thinking that so many people only run because they have a community to do it within, um, especially in the time of COVID. I've I heard a lot of friends say like they've, their motivation has diminished because we can't meet in, lar in as large of group as we used to. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I completely understand that. So how does running fit in? That's a really good question. I'd never try to connect the two. Yeah, I don't know. It's wow. just something interesting. I mean, social determinants can also tie in like race and income level and like inequality. So I feel like, mm -hmm. I mean, while running, yeah, you only need a pair of shoes in a sense, like races still cost money and there's still like barriers yeah. to getting into the sport too. So yeah, I wondered if you thought about how we can help break those barriers down. Something that we would, we used to say in our group runs that like, when we are out there, we have two groups. We have Blacklist LA, and then we have uh, Lista, which is our female-led group we started a couple of years ago. And we would always say that when we're running through certain neighborhoods in LA, we're really making a movement because there are a lot of people here who, who aren't used to seeing so many black and brown bodies in masses just running for fun, you know? Uh, we get really excited when we get stopped at the stoplight and people are just like, hey, you know, what's your name? What group is this? Because they're just like, I've, you know, I've never seen this. I've been wanting to get into running. Um, you know, what's your website and all that stuff. So that's, that kind of tells you that if it's out there, the people will come. And there are other people that are looking for what you have as far as running, as far as like forming your group for this community because maybe they're not interested in racing at the time. Maybe they just want to, you know, get fit and be outside and move in a way they haven't in a long time. Racing is not even on the radar for them, but it never, it's always like in the back of my mind to think that like, wow, like this movement that we're engaging in, it's, it's a bit of a protest. Yes. Because, you know, LA isn't quite made for pedestrians. We're trying to move it in that sense. You know, it's really made for, for cars and, transit commuting so seeing people out using their bodies and using their feet to move is just like an, just another I don't, I don't know what the word is I don't want to say mind-blowing but you know it feels it feels good to be able to do that and it feels good to be able to give people another alternative to living mm -hmm. yeah that's really cool um I didn't realize you're part of two LA groups and it sounds like you're pretty pretty involved in both. Um, yeah, do you want to share a little bit more about the groups that you're a part of? And, you know, did you help start them? Or how did you first get involved with them? So Blacklist LA, we just celebrated seven years in September. Um, we like to say we're a run organization. I was not a part of that start. I think I started running with them in 2016. So they were a couple years old already. But, but they started as just a Monday night art run. Our, our coach would always run around LA at night and he would see these nice, uh, not graffiti, but uh, like actual artists putting up their work on the streets of LA. And he thought it was really cool to, you know, to start at one place, go to the art, talk about the piece and the artist and then run back. 
Um, the reason they called it blacklist was because, you know, art would be up one night and it'd be down the next because the city wasn't as forthcoming to these artists and to their work. And they didn't think it was, you know, as beautiful as what we thought it. So it went from just a Monday night, 10 p.m. run, like a 5K, um, built into a Wednesday night. And we called those Metro, LA Metro nights because we wanted to get people accustomed to the LA transit. So we would meet at one of our train stations, take the train out somewhere and run back. And you can cross so many neighborhoods in just a few miles. That's um, so cool. So <laughs> yeah. I would never, ever, I don't think, I mean, maybe taking an Uber to go run somewhere, but like a transit run, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how we got more recognition into the city because they could see that we're actually out here, you know, one, putting money into the transit line because we did have to pay for the rides, but transgressing all these neighborhoods. So we had Monday, we had Wednesday, we started doing our Saturday long runs. Pretty soon we were doing a marathon training plan. And two years ago, our sister group called Run Lista started with me and, and some of the women in the group on Thursday nights because we wanted to have a time and a space dedicated for women just to be themselves and run. Um, you know, a lot of us got together one night and you can look at not even just Blacklist, but a lot of these run groups that aren't just female oriented and count how many men there are and count how many women there are on the group. And there were several reasons for this. I started thinking one night, like, oh, is this like a gender role thing? Is it like a time thing because they're running at night? Like, what is this? There's, I know there's so many other women out there that just want to run. Are they like intimidated because, you know, all these men are here? So whatever reason that they have, we just thought it was important to have a weekly consistent time for women to come together and do three miles, six miles, whatever they were in for, the, for that night. And it was, it was really good. We got so much good feedback from that. And I was really proud because all we it gave us more time to be together when men were welcome, but we were, it was just time for us, you know, and we, I believe we're still the longest running women's run club in Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, it's, whew, it's been a journey. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing both of those. Yeah. And I know if there are listeners that live in LA or nearby, they're probably really interested in learning more. So yeah. For um for the runs where you would go see the murals, has did that help with like the murals like being up permanently at all now? Mm -hmm. Yes, because uh we started gaining or our coach, our founder started gaining more partnerships with uh, some of these artists. Mm -hmm. And up until last year, we would host a 5K on Los Angeles's birthday. Um, so that was every September. And a couple of the years, he was actually able to collaborate with some of the artists to make our race medal. So that was pretty, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. What a cool yeah. collaboration, like running and art. You don't always think of that collaboration, yeah. but I love that. Plus it adds another like element to your run yeah. to look forward to instead of mm -hmm. like, oh, no, I'm going out yeah. running, you know, however far you're Yeah, yeah. I get to see yeah. this beautiful artwork like during my run. Yeah. Yeah, they're, and they're all really of this. Fun. Yeah, all of it is running for social change in a sense. I mean, it sounds like you're mm -hmm. bringing more women into the sport, you're breaking down some of those barriers that exist. And even with the transit, I mean, some people may be afraid or not sure about how to take, I know I've gotten lost on public yeah. transit, it can be <laughs> scary. So that is really cool that you're doing that. Awesome. Yeah. That um, 
Yeah, this kind of ties in talking about art. Um, we noticed that you recently got a new tattoo with the words, Still I Rise, <laughs> inspired by Maya Angelou's poem. What in encourages and empowers you through her words? Whew. I don't, I wish I could remember the first time I read that poem, but I felt like it might have just felt like a, a light bulb mm -hmm. in my head. And I, I knew that I had always wanted tattoos. Um, it was just the act of following through and, and getting it. But I, I remember I read that line. I was like, this has to be one of them. It, it just has to be. Um, that, I don't know if you've read the poem yourself, mm -hmm. but I read, every time that I read it, I feel really empowered. I feel really encouraged. And Maya Angelou was just a badass, <laughs> uh, literally forced. I can't think of one bad thing to say about her just because of what she overcame through in her life and for her to turn around and teach the masses through her books and through her own mentoring. She's really a role model for so many people. And the reason why I got the tattoo now um, was one for, from lupus. Uh, I couldn't get tattoos for a long time, even though I'd always try and barter with my physicians and kind of like, you know, be like, Hey, is it, is it, is it cool if I do this, maybe, if it's small, you know, they're kind of just be like, no, no, we don't think it's going to be safe. Um, but this year, I was able to get off uh, a few medications, and one of them was the prime reason why I couldn't get them, because it, it was a, a clotting medication. Mm. So I got off of that in February, and my second reason was my birthday is next month. I'm going to be 30, and I was like, what better way to really, like... <laughs> tie the bow on everything and literally start a new chapter than by doing what I've always wanted and saying that like, you know, the past is just like this tattoo signifies that the past is no more. Um, I've been able to come overcome so many obstacles and I know I'm going to overcome a lot more in the coming decades. And I just couldn't think of a better way to celebrate my birthday and to celebrate myself than with something that has had so much meaning for me throughout the years. And now I can actually like, make it tangible you know yeah that's really really powerful and happy early birthday as well thank you <laughs> yeah i Thanks. i um have heard um that poem as well and i remember i think the first time i heard it um my angelou was like it was um an audio recording or something like a video and so i can mm -hmm. still hear her like reading that out loud yeah um, i think it was the one like oh, um like one of my literature classes in high school and so yeah mm -hmm. ever since then I've always admired her and her poems as well mm -hmm. yeah it's a great one mm -hmm. yeah and along those lines um I noticed too and I, I added I like to ask this question but I noticed on like one of your recent Instagram posts you talked about like um joy what's been bringing you joy lately uh mm -hmm. so I wanted to ask you that question because it's one of my favorites but and to see maybe if what's been bringing you joy lately has changed a little bit I've noticed that I really have to put in more effort to uh, hang out with my friends because what will happen is I will spend all this time at home in front of a screen and my mind will just get to thinking one way um, and it may not be the most positive way too but as soon as I make plans with someone and whether that's like getting breakfast or just getting coffee it's just complete 180 
um, it's whatever was stressing me before just completely goes away. And for like those couple hours, it's about catching up and it's about relieving all that stress. Mm-hmm. So I'd say having, making time to hang out with friends has brought me a lot of joy as of late and also making time to rest without guilt. And that's something I had to learn, um, in therapy. And so what I'm doing with that is I'm watching, well, I should say I'm binging, uh, bones, <laughs> the old like uh fox series i think and i i've literally made time to watch one or two episodes a day and that just breaks the monotony for me so those two are those two are what's bringing me joy right now mm, thanks for ah. sharing i've never watched bones before but i remember i um i love the show new girl and i like watched it when it like first came out when it, like mm-hmm. that was like eight years ago or something but i remember <laughs> bones would always be on after or before that so I always see like the little preview, but yeah. I, I'm not a big, like, I don't know, not a big like medical, like sci-fi show watcher. I don't know if that's super sci-fi, but more like medical, right? It's crime solving. That's why yeah. I got into anything procedural and crime solving. I'm like, I will watch the whole good. I love how you said too that it, that's been like your way to rest and just turn your brain off for a little bit mm-hmm. because sometimes I feel people don't always think of like watching a show as something productive for yourself because sometimes mm-hmm. it, it like it can't be it just depends on what mindset you have going into yeah. whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're almost wrapping up here. We have a couple more questions. One um, is looking back what advice would you give to your younger self? Maybe we'll say like your, I don't know, 20 year old self or around that time. I would say, listen to those feelings because you're probably right. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like in my younger self, I doubted myself a lot. Like I was, I've always been a confident, charismatic person, but if I'm like looking honest retrospectively I also really doubted myself a lot and I had a tendency to do what other people would say maybe because they had more experience um sometimes it was just like even my parents and things like that but just kind of I would I would tell myself you're not crazy (laughs) your thoughts are valid your feelings are valid um maybe you don't know how to express them but don't think just because someone else has a louder voice that your voice doesn't matter. Those are great words. Uh, And I think (laughs) it relates back a little bit to how you talked about the beginning about finding your voice. So you're giving yourself that advice later. And I love how you said that, just feeling your feelings. I don't think I've heard anybody say that um, in that way before. So I love that. Thank you. Thank Um, you. And along those lines, a little bit different, but what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? It means being there for your community, but being there for yourself as well. I'm always like saying you have to make sure your own cup is full before you can give to others. Um, I think I kind of take this question personally too, because in the time of in the time of COVID, I've gotten a lot of friends come to me and say that uh, I get out the door in the morning because I know that you have already gotten your run in. Like I know I'm gonna go on social media and say like, oh, I like I've posted that workout for that day, 
And because of that, that's the only reason why I've, I've been as active as I am. So I, I'm just a really strong community oriented person. And for me, being a strong winner chick, it's, it's all about being there for the people that need you. Yeah, that's evident through everything yeah. you've shared with us today, um, the relationships <laughs> in the community and how special that is and meaningful to you. Just how you said, being with the, your people has helped to bring you joy lately as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that, Mireille. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it really, you know, means a lot to us and just appreciate all that you're sharing both on social media and with us today. And obviously with your community, you've had a great impact and just continue to inspire. And I think it's just so cool too, with the impact you can have on people just through social media, even like yeah. showing up every day and, yeah. you know, inspiring your friends and people to get out there. So do you have any final uh, shout outs you'd like to give people you want to just thank on here? I will always shout out Blacklist LA um, and Lista, my run fam. Uh, thank you to Hoka for believing in me a few years ago. Um, they have definitely made the road to running a bit smoother for me and I can't thank them enough, both as a brand and just the friends that I've gained from there. Um, shout out to all the strong runner chicks. Yeah, love yeah. it. Then, <laughs> great, last way, um, what's the best way for listeners, anyone that wants to connect with you? Definitely Instagram, okay. Mireille.Sene, yes. Mireille.Sene. All right. Well, thanks so much again, Mireille. It was a joy talking to you and uh, Strong Runner Chicks. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.